writing a movie about flowers is really fucking hard. So maybe just write yourself into the movie and make it like this whole weird meta thing. That's right. This week, I watched Adaptation. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tinted Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Baker, give watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinion on them. That, I think, is the intro, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <sighs> so, it's been a while since I recorded. See, when I originally started out doing this podcast or started recording episodes for this podcast, my big idea was, I'm just going to bank a few. I'm going to do, like, one a week bank like 10 episodes and then that way if I ever have a week where I just absolutely can't get one done I'll still be able to kind of keep my schedule up and uh, just like almost everything else I do with my life I just kind of fell off recording episodes so I currently have like as of the time that I'm sitting down to record this episode I don't know like eight episodes banked but it's taken me like I think eight months to do that Um, not 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 great but I thought this would be a good opportunity to get back on the horse with a movie that adaptation, like I said in the intro, movie by Charlie, written by Charlie Kaufman, directed by Spike Jones, teaming up again after they did John Malkovich. It, Char- Charlie Kaufman likes to be very self-referential and meta in the movies that he writes, and I think that gives me a good excuse to kind of talk a little bit about this show in general. I, I think. Part of me wants to just put it on, oh, yeah, I was being lazy. I didn't want to watch movies and record episodes. Honestly, I, wow, man, I pissed away this whole day before finally sitting down to hit record. And once I hit record, it's so easy. As soon as I hit record, here I am talking, ranting into this microphone. Like, it's it doesn't matter what I say. Who cares what I say? I'm just saying stuff. That's the whole point, right? I don't know. But I think deep down, I wasn't sure if that was the point anymore. As, as soon as I started actually recording episodes and getting closer to the point where I felt I could maybe release some, I think that's about where I started to fall off. And I, I think part of it was I subconsciously started worrying about whether the show is any good, whether I'm good at talking. And quite frankly, I feel like I forgot why I even started doing this in the first place. A, a lot of stuff has happened. Um, I hope that by the time anyone, if anyone hears this as another part of this whole deal, by the time anyone actually listens to this, this should come in a fairly steady stream of episodes. So me sounding like I had some sort of weird nervous breakdown. I didn't have a nervous breakdown. I just kind of stopped recording episodes. But it should be kind of out of nowhere in terms of the context of uh, someone that's listened to the show steadily. But for me, it's been three months since the last time I recorded an episode and it's been eight months since I recorded the Godfather episode, which is supposed to be my first episode. Hopefully it will be. Hopefully that'll be the first thing I release. I don't even know anymore. A lot's changed, I think. I finally did a couple episodes with guests, and I quickly realized doing those that I vastly prefer the show when I have a guest. So I think that's part of the problem, is that as soon as I had a guest, I was like, oh, the conversation flows. That's why good podcasts have at least two people on, so they can talk to each other and not just be the same annoying voice droning on for over an hour. Um, But I always wanted to establish a precedent with this where I could just watch an episode and do an episode by myself in case I ever needed to pump one out or if I ever... 
I especially think I'm going to do it for certain movies like Gone with the Wind and Lawrence of Arabia, those fucking four-hour movies. I'm not going to make anybody else sit through that shit. That's crazy. And now there's a train going in the background. And, and immediately I was like, oh, I should probably hit pause maybe and, and let this train just go by. But that, again... I'm already rambling and I'm self-conscious about it and the whole thing is it's so stupid to be self-conscious about it because this show is never going to be listened to by anyone there's no reason there's no good hook there's no good a good podcast has a good hook and is anchored by these cults of personality who you love listening to and I'm neither of those things and it's silly of me to ever think that there would be that much of an audience for this. I'll, I'll be lucky if maybe a couple of my friends ever listen to this. And if you are listening to this currently, hey, hi, I appreciate it. Thank you. But I'm going to be a little self-indulgent, a little bit Charlie Kaufman, if you will, to, I guess, sarcastically tie it back into the movie that I'm talking about. I The whole reason I started this thing was just to have an excuse to watch movies that I hadn't watched before that I felt like I should have and just ranting in the microphone about them for a little bit. Because I like talking about movies, and you know, sometimes people aren't around to talk, so I'll just talk into a microphone instead. It's a not—I don't think a healthy replacement, but it's a replacement. It works, I think. It's kind of like hip surgery, I guess, and you get it because you kind of need it, but you're never the same. No, it's not like hip surgery at all. It's a terrible analogy. I did it off the cuff, but I also want to try to stop hitting pause every time I fuck up while I'm recording by myself because I felt like that was constraining me a little bit too. I was too focused on trying to make this decent and it's never going to be decent. I'm recording into a USB mic into my laptop in a room that's not soundproofed at all while a train goes by in the background. That's what this is. (laughs) That's what this is. I, I, uh, I don't want to be too focused on making the show palatable for an audience, I think is what I'm trying to say. I would like it to be listenable, but at the end of the day, it's never... The things that you do in life that are the best things that you do are the things that you do because you want to do them, not because you're trying to impress anybody. Every every good thing that someone's ever produced has just been something they've t- taken from their inner self and just gone for it. A piece of themselves without fear of judgment, without, well, maybe fear of judgment, but I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I, I guess I think if I focus too hard on trying to make this show good, it'll suck, I guess. And also I'll never get it done because I'll always be worrying about whether it's good or not. And at the end of the day, this was just supposed to be basically an online journal So, I don't know. I want to have more guests on. I like doing those episodes. I like being able to just sit back and drink while someone else talks. I like it being an excuse to talk to my friends about movies. And I'm hoping the solo episodes will be more few and far between. I'll try to save those for the more cerebral or the more lengthy type stuff that I don't want to put anybody else through. Kind of expected this whole rant to be a little more uh, of a light shedding moment and it's not it just has felt like me ranting about nothing for i don't even know that's another thing is i'm horrible at keeping track of how long these episodes are i don't pay any attention to the time i feel like the ones with just me probably shouldn't get to be more than an hour because god knows anyone wants to listen to me talk for that long (laughs) and now i'm just moaning into the microphone great and i'm gonna take a drink who gives a shit 
Not me anymore. That's the point. I don't give a shit anymore. I don't give a fuck anymore. I don't. I don't care. It's supposed to be fun. Why can't it be fun? It's supposed to be fun. I watched Adaptation. It's good. It's a good movie. That's my review. Episode's over. I wanted a short episode. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't have anything else to say. It's just... It's also, there's no context for any of this for anybody. I feel like if this episode ever comes out, they'll just be like, wow, that random episode where he just decided to say, fuck it. He doesn't give a shit anymore. Interesting choice. Maybe that'll be the case. Maybe I'll cut all of this out if I change my mind. But I wanted to say it just to say it. It's been on my mind a lot. But I want to talk about adaptation now. I think that's what I'm going to do. I watched this movie twice now because I watched it like uh, five months ago and subsequently forgot everything about it, which in my mind meant that that probably wasn't a very good movie, but I watched it again and then the joke was on me. It is a very good movie. I just had a lot of other shit going on. So uh, I guess I'm going to try to go back to the format I used to do. I have a paper I found where I like... Yeah, welcome to me rustling through papers. Um, Yeah, I'm supposed to do a summary. I have it written that I do a summary of the movie. I feel like I eventually changed my mind and thought I should do the preconceived notions before I do the summary. I feel like that makes more sense. To be like, oh, this is what I expected. Get that out of the way and then talk about what the actual summary of the movie was. That makes more sense, right? I think that makes more sense. I'm going to do my preconceived notions first, so I'm going to rustle around with another paper for a second. This is my list that I wrote. I write a list of things that I think I know about the movie going into it. I have written here that Cage and Streep are in it, which I guess is, yep, they're in it, so I'm right about that. I don't know. uh, What am I supposed to say? Yeah, they're in the movie. They're, They're good. Cage plays his own twin. I I was somehow aware of that. I was aware that he's Charlie Kaufman in the movie, and then he has a brother that's like a fake brother. I I don't know why I know that. I don't think it really affected what it was like going into the movie. I guess I just was like very aware that this is going to be kind of meta and weird, but it's Charlie Kaufman, so of course it is. I somehow also knew that the third act turns into a, a bit of an action movie. That's, um, I guess that does kind of affect how I watched it, huh? I somehow knew it as a movie that kind of turns things on its head in the third act. I think it came up in conversation once because someone was comparing it to The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which has an interesting twist sort of similar to it. Uh, Those two movies, Adaptation and The Rise of Leslie Vernon uh, Behind the Mask, uh, have weirdly similar trajectories for the movie i feel bad saying that because the rise of leslie vernon i'm not sure is a movie that it'll eventually be one of my recommended movies if i can ever tie it back to something i was acutely aware of brian cox playing robert mckee in this movie i think i've talked about robert mckee before but who fucking knows i recorded episodes like six months ago i'll say it again uh robert mckee is a screenwriting guru who i like a lot i've listened to all of his books on tape I think he's great. I was excited to see a character of his in the character that's supposed to be him in the movie. I know the story about Kaufman writing him into the script and then being like, oh, we probably actually have to get permission from him to be in the movie. And McKee was like, I want you to cast Brian Cox as me. And there should be a scene where 
they like talk and he's like not that much of an asshole, which I, I think worked out pretty well because that's a fun scene in the movie, which ties to the fact that I know I knew there was going to be some voiceover because I'm some I'm aware of that scene where he's talking to himself and he's like, McKee says, don't use voiceover attack. Fuck it. I'm going to do it anyway, which it was extra funny because as someone who's listened to McKee's books, it's like everything he says really is the thing that's strange about the movie and how it handles McKee is that he uses him as this sort of figurehead for, Oh, he's just another one of these gurus and you get suckered in by his bullshit and all that. But he is definitely reverential enough. Like he clearly knows what McKee's all about. He's got specific things from McKee that McKee has said before in the movie. He has a scene where he gets completely torn down by McKee. He clearly has respect for him. And I think part of that is that some of the appeal of McKee is he does stress like, no, there are no rules. I'm going to tell you what I think things should be. But if you have a good reason to not do things like that, then that's fine. Like that's what screenwriting is. And so there's a really fun meta moment where he's like, voiceover, I shouldn't use voice. Fuck it. I'm using it. And and obviously the irony of it being written by a guy that's so good at writing is the voiceover really does add a lot to the movie. It's not just there to it's not there at all to move the plot along. It's very character driven and very good. Spike Jones directed it. I'm not intimately familiar with Spike Jones's work, which apparently means I just don't watch music videos. Because every time you look up his IMDb, he's got like 90 directing credits and you have to like sift through 20 music videos to find a, a film that he's directed. I know he directed Her. That's a movie that's kind of on my list. It's I know it's more recent. Again, I like to stretch the definition of classic, but I think enough people have said it's a good-ass movie that I could cover it without anybody getting their feathers ruffled. Anybody being the no people that listen to this. So, fuck it. If I want to watch her, I'm going to watch her. Oh, yeah, bitch. What? I'm breaking the rules. Oh, shit. I feel like I need to get my energy up. So I'm doing this somehow to try to get my energy up. But it's not going to happen because it's late at night and I'm drinking. And that's just kind of my mood right now. I don't know. That's enough of preconceived notions. Let's do a summary. Let's do a summary of adaptation. And let's also try to talk into the microphone. Let's do that too. Stop turning my head. That'd be great, right? Ah, summary of adaptation. Okay, I'm going to do a really simple version. Nicolas Cage is playing Charlie Kaufman, who's approached to write a screenplay adaptation of the book, The Orchid Thief. The book, The Orchid Thief, both in real life and in the context of this movie, is a book that isn't really about a whole lot. It is about a whole lot, but it's not very plot heavy, and it's hard to make a visuals storytelling film experience out of a book that's just musings about loneliness and flowers and shit. And so it seems very clear, and from from the research I've done, that Charlie Coffin was like, I can't fucking a adapt this book. I'm just going to write about the process of trying to adapt this book and call it good. And so that's what it is. He tries to adapt the book. It switches back and forth between his musings and what's going on with Meryl Streep's character, who plays the author of the book. And then in the third act, it takes like a hard left turn and becomes like sort of a thriller movie where he, all the all the shit that he said he wasn't going to do about the drugs and the sex and the violence. He's just like, nope, we're doing it now. We need to end the movie in a big way. And it ends in an interesting way. I don't know why I'm avoiding spoilers. Like, I feel like 
no one's going to listen to this and be like, oh, man, I want to listen to this whole episode, but I hope it doesn't ruin the ending for me. Uh, but I guess it doesn't hurt because you've either seen it or you haven't. So if you haven't, you should watch it. So I guess I won't spoil it. And if you have seen it, you already know what the fuck I'm talking about. So what's the point of this even? Oh, I just summed up this entire show. Yes. Yeah, that's the summary, I guess. Uh, let's go to... What is the structure of this fucking show? Uh, review. Oh, I do a review? Okay, sure. Yeah, I'll do a review. Oh, you know what? I should have pulled up my... Uh, I have a Word document where I keep a list of all the scores and recommendations that people give for each of the movies, just as like a sort of a, a reference chart to see what else I've, what I've given other movies and the movies I've recommended already because I don't want to repeat recommendations if I can help it. Uh, so I'm pulling that up. But in terms of a review of this movie, I was, I think the other thing that I was not really looking forward to doing in terms of uh, reviewing this movie is it, I, I could let myself make like a 10 part, each video, two hours long series of this movie and I still I feel like wouldn't scratch the surface what is going on in this film Ch Charlie Kaufman Ch Charlie Kaufman is it's not a crazy thing to say that the man is a genius he's a genius he's like a super genius he's a genius at writing and I think what was really fun for me on this second watch was realizing that part of what makes him a genius writer isn't that he's just always oh, so good at structure and dialogue and stuff he's just open He's just an open guy who writes about the things that are in his head. And I think that's what makes him so great is he's just so brutally honest about his thoughts and feelings. And that's why he can make a movie like this that's so meta where he has a character that's just a self-insert character. It's not even a, like that. That's still not even uh, specific enough. He is. He writes himself into the movie. He's not even a self-insert. He just is Charlie Kaufman as played by Nick Cage. It doesn't feel indulgent at all. He even references in the movie that it's narcissistic, but it's not. You know it's not. You feel like you're in good hands with him the whole time. And it's just, you can see the frustration that he had trying to adapt this fucking book. It's all, that's what the movie's about. It's, it's, but it's brilliant. It's like, who would think to, if you were just sitting there night after night, just furiously masturbating in any sort of effort to put off writing this fucking screenplay, who, who would be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to write about me furiously masturbating trying to write this screenplay. Like, it's so stupidly simple, but done so well that it's just, it's kind of mind-boggling. And, and, and I don't mean to, to try to boil him down as a writer, because he's so much more than that. He's smart at metaphor and, and using things to mean other things. And his movies just tend to have so much going on. They're They're always boiled down to these human interactions but it's always about these big picture ideas uh, another movie that uh, i'd like to talk more about and i i remember in originally intending to come into this review and kind of almost jointly talk about it his other movie the one that he directed uh synecdoche new york uh he's since directed anomalisa which is a movie i have not seen i would like to see it but he directed and wrote a movie called Synecdoche, New York. I don't think a lot of people have seen it. I don't think a lot of people know it exists. But anything I have to say about that movie, there is a YouTube reviewer named uh, Your Movie Sucks, 
YMS. He has a huge ass video series breaking down the movie. And it was because of that that I began to really understand what Charlie Kaufman was about and really appreciate what he does as a writer and as a director. He's just so meticulous and specific in ways that I don't think I could ever begin to approach. And quite frankly, I'm not even sure I want to. It seems like a hard way to live. You got a guy who's making some of the greatest cinematic art that exists today, whether he's writing it or actually directing it. And I'm not even sure people appreciate it for what it is. I I hope at the end of the day, he feels satisfied because he should. Uh, He's very good at what he does. But part of his charm is him drawing on that self-deprecation and that anger that you have deep inside of you and and pouring that out onto the page. And you just, it's so relatable. It's just, this movie felt self-indulgent for me to watch because all his little bits about, I hate myself, I'm fat, I should write a sentence, but I need a coffee and maybe a muffin. I'll write a sentence and reward myself with a muffin. That shit. And I think almost anybody can relate to that. Not just writers. That, that's anybody that has a hobby or is into anything creative whatsoever. Or even just someone that has like a project around the house. House Around the house. I'm not even drunk. Jesus Christ. Just you t- the way you put stuff off. And he just, instead of trying to find some other way to approach that, he's just like, here's what it's like for me. And somehow it's still so insanely relatable. It's, it's, it's brilliant. It, I mean, it, it's just brilliant. That, that's what it is. But I, I, I'd like to, like I said, I can't, I'm not going to be able to ever do justice the themes in the deep, deep thematic. And I said, I already said themes. And then I said thematic. That's uh, really smart there, Jake. Uh, the way things connect, there's a scene where Meryl Streep and, uh, oh, I don't know the actor's name. His name in the movie is John LaRoche, even though he got like an Oscar for this performance. I don't fucking know the guy. It's like Chris something, Chris Cornwell, Chris something. I don't fucking know. I I didn't pick it up the first time I watched it, but she says the word adaptation, but they're talking about adapting in your, in your life to accommodate your situation and become a different person but it also applies to the writing of the book but it also applies to there's just so much going on and it's just brilliant it's 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 brilliant i love it and i i'm really glad that i sat on this movie for so long and gave it a second watch because the second charlie coffin movies uh, yeah you can't just watch them one time and be good you watch it the first time to see what happens in the movie, so so you're not going to be taken by surprise by anything. And then you go back and you watch it, and you can just appreciate things for what they are, which is what I did this time. I was noticing things, knowing where the movie was going. I was able to pick up on stuff I had completely missed before. The way, the way it bookends with his shitty attempt at romance and stuff, and the way the romance plays out with Meryl Streep and, and her guy in the movie just the parallels are insane and i i just didn't appreciate him before uh so i I really am glad i watched it a second time but i kind of want to just talk about the movie as a movie that's that's what i'm here to do i'm here to watch movies that are classics i i I think this one counts as a classic i think people like this movie it's it's well reviewed it's a bit of a tough nut to crack i think it's it's very deep 
it, it's hard to get into Kaufman because he is very specific and meta, and you have to kind of be into that stuff. And it helps to be someone like me that's so interested in film and writing and stuff like that. It's it's a lot more approachable. I'd be curious what my dad would think of this movie. I, I don't know how he'd feel. I, I but I like I would like to say just from there from the standpoint of sort of uh, hopefully this doesn't sound condescending, but the average moviegoer, it, it's probably a pretty enjoyable movie. The characters are super interesting. Nick Cage, he's just, I don't, there's not really another actor quite like him. And there's not another actor, I don't think, that has given us such a wide range of performances in terms of quality. (laughs) Maybe not range of character, but quality. He just proves that every time he has a really good director, he is an insanely good actor. You can tell the difference between the two brothers easily. And not even just clothes. If they, you can just, the body language, the way they talk, the way they act, it's just so different. And a lot lot of people love to go into movies and be like, oh, look at Tom Hardy. He played two different characters. What a tour de force. But it's, it's not just that. It's that he's just these, he embodies these two different people so completely. And it, it makes it all the more interesting when you take a step back from it and look at the movie as a whole and you realize that these two characters are really just two parts of Kaufman's psyche kind of at odds with each other, but also admiring each other that the left brain versus right brain stuff. He loves this part of him that can just let loose and be silly and he wants to be that guy so badly but he has that guy in the context of his movie admire him so much donald really admires charlie and thinks he's a genius and so there's a part of him that understands that as painful as it is for him to sit down at the typewriter and type typewriter yeah we're all using typewriters now good reference jake typewriters a writing utensil that nobody uses anymore because it's fucking ridiculous uh, but when he sits down to, to write a movie, he knows that there is a part of him that should be respected. And he, he, he does like that he has that in him, but he also spends a lot of the movie calling himself a fat, worthless piece of shit, which, which is fun. Uh, I think we all do that to certain degrees, and I find that very relatable. But Nick, Nick Cage is great. Meryl Streep, this movie was really eye-opening for me because Meryl Streep's not someone that I've ever really... If she's in a movie, I'm not seeking it out super hard to try to find it. I'm not going after any movie that Meryl Streep's in. So someone like me, Meryl Streep's almost, uh, I wouldn't call it a punchline, but she's the, oh, when you think of Academy Award winning actress, it's always Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep is, Meryl Streep's so uh, ubiquitous with acting that she is you someone is the Meryl Streep of something just the way that someone is used to be the Michael Jordan of something someone is the Meryl Streep of something so it's nice to watch this movie and feel like that title is earned because she's amazing in this movie she's so fucking good the range of emotions that she has to go through and the amount of times the camera just sits on her face and you start to understand just how sad and lonely and desperate for any sort of excitement and human connection that she can reach. I It resonated so hard with me when she starts talking about she's not even attracted to the John character because she wants to be, she becomes as passionate about these flowers. She's just attracted to the fact that someone can be that passionate about literally anything. And that's the point. They touch on that. 
he's like, I had turtles, and then I had fish, and then I said, fuck fish. And he has this great monologue about loving things and letting it go. And watching it the second time, I started to understand that that whole monologue is part of Kaufman probably exercising some of the demons that come with being a writer, especially a screenwriter. You write a script, and then you give it to somebody, and then it's just out of your hands. You love something so intensely that you just rip it out of your soul. And, you know, all the all the wonky rainbowy metaphors you you bleed onto the page you cut yourself out and you put it in i don't know why i'm a new yorker all of a sudden but yeah you fucking put your words on the page it splits your head open spill your brain out all over your typewriter that you still have because it's the fucking 70s um i don't know why i'm doing that accent uh but the pain that comes with that and then handing that piece of you off to somebody to just go to whatever they want with the movie. It's it's the John character represents this cynical side of him that's tried to emotionally wall himself off from the pain of handing that thing off to somebody else and it not being yours anymore. I think it's pretty it, it's pretty base level analysis on my part to say this, but all the characters in the movie are at least the main characters, Charlie Kaufman, his brother Donald, uh, John and then uh, Susan Meryl Streep's character—they're all just Charlie. They're different aspects of Charlie, and they're all connected by this loneliness that they feel. Charlie Kaufman's obviously super lonely, introverted writer. It's—it's it's no mistake that the beginning of this movie starts with him failing miserably to, to forge a relationship with this ballerina that, for some reason, is giving him the time of day. I, I find that kind of funny too like he's so baffled that she's given him the time of day and they do a good job with the casting and the awkwardness to make the audience be like yeah this is a little weird but at the same time you're still like well fucking take your shot buddy and he just doesn't and it's so painful that voiceover when he's like i should rush up to the door and and knock it'll be a story we tell our kids someday and then he drives off holy shit it's so fucking brutal oh god and it, the way it bookends with that, it's just it, the movie at the end, the big, I think the big, big theme of this movie is just loneliness. And I definitely don't think I picked that up the first time I watched it. The first time I watched it, I was just so, it's so meta and back and forth and jumping back and forth. And it's, I wouldn't say it's hard to keep things straight, but it is hard to follow the plot of the movie and also be picking up every little thematic thing. Um, but loneliness is is a big, big thing with this movie, which I find that to be funny because I'm choosing to do this episode alone and ranting at this microphone to nobody, presumably to nobody who will ever listen to this, but I don't, you got to choose not to care. You got to choose to be John about it. You got to choose to say, you know, adaptation podcast episode I recorded. Fuck that. I'm never going in the ocean again. I didn't sound nearly as cool as I hoped it would, but that's okay. I don't do this to sound cool. It's probably funnier when I'm not cool. I think it's probably funnier, right? It's not funny to be cool. Was the font was the font was the fonts funny? Why is that? <laughs> That's my go-to reference for cool is Fonzie. A, a, a fucking Henry Winkler from a, a show from the 60s. That's that that was when cool peaked. Uh, he <laughs> I don't want to go further down this Fonzie rabbit hole, but I'm starting to remember how many how much happy days I actually watched. I watched that show a lot. I guess they must have been playing it for some reason. Yeah, this movie is just so deep. I don't, it's pretty well shot. Spike Jones obviously knows what he's doing. The script is amazing. The performances are great. I think 
what I'm having trouble with is because in my head, I don't, I, I try to kind of ballpark what my score is going to be. And then generally by talking it out, I can kind of land somewhere. And I'm at a total fucking loss for what I'm going to do with this movie because to me personally, it's not a flawless movie, but it's very, very good. And it has a lot of layers to it. And it begs being revisited over and over. It's definitely a movie I, I would recommend to people a lot. There's another part of me that's like, I don't feel like I can comfortably put it in the same realm as your your Godfathers and your Chinatowns. It's just not... It's such a specific movie, I think. It's hard to tell with these kind of movies because the people that review movies love movies. And I've always noticed that movies that are a little bit meta tend to do well with, with reviewers. Hollywood likes movies about Hollywood. They like seeing that shit. So me looking at like the Metacritic score and seeing that it's really high, I'm not sure that really says a whole lot about how people feel about it. But I guess at the end of the day, it's just about how I felt about it. And I really liked it. I don't think it's quite that time to start wrapping this up yet i think i started talking maybe a half hour ago i would like to at least get an hour of content i think i'm just so overwhelmed because i can't i'm resorting to the notepad uh i like that they do the being john malkovich reference that was interesting i don't know if i've ever seen a movie that uses behind the scene footage from another movie that the director made i find that i find that pretty interesting See, when the, for the first time I watched it, I just wrote adaptation name drop. I didn't have any appreciation for what they were doing in that moment. I, I just, I just went, oh, name drop, because I'm amused by, by name drops, uh, which I am. I am amused by name drops. It kind of makes me giggle. I watched the movie Annihilation recently, and they do a name drop at a very serious moment in that movie, and it made me giggle a little bit. That also probably dates this pretty hard, but. By the time this episode ever sees the light of day, and if you are listening to it, three people that listen to this, I highly recommend the movie Annihilation. Fuck it. Why not? I'll say it. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Amelia has type, sad, nerd loser. Oh, okay. Office space guy. That's sad. That guy's a good actor. He's done other stuff besides office space, right? The guy that plays his agent. His agent in the movie is the lead from the, off, uh, the office space. And every time I see him, I just go, oh, that's the office space guy, the not Ferris Bueller guy, which I feel is mean because he's a good actor. Is he? He's not the one that's in that one movie where it's like the whole nine yards. Is that him? Welcome to Jake tries to vaguely remember movies without Googling them. Today's episode features maybe a Bruce Willis movie. We don't know. And we may never know because he's not going to actually look at his phone. Yeah. Should I do my movie announcer guy voice? No? Okay, then. Let's keep going with the fucking review. Cage wigs. Did I think he was wearing a wig? See, all, all, my, all my notes from the first watch are very bad. They're very bad. Very, very bad. The, the one thing I'll say is I definitely made note of the scene where the John character... You know what? Actually, I am going to... The John character, they have that scene where she calls him and uh, he tells that story about uh, getting into that car accident and getting his mom killed 
and his wife got all 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 fuckered up. Chris Cooper. I was close, right? I knew his first name was Chris, but I think I said Chris Cornell, like the singer who died. Yeah, Chris Cooper. Uh, obviously, Chris Cooper's great in this movie. He, I don't know. I hope he didn't actually have his teeth removed, but I wouldn't be surprised as committed as he seems to the performance. The thing that's so great about his character is I've seen that guy. I, li- I live in a really small town. That that guy is like every other guy that lives near my house. But he's this weird, super intelligent version of that guy that I feel like I've never seen before. And I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything else. It's just a fascinating character. It, it's not hard to see why he got, I, I think he got an Oscar. I don't do any research, I guess, FYI. Part of it's because I'm supposed to go into these blind, I guess, but I could do some research after the fact and maybe give a slightly informed opinion. I mean, why are you listening to this? You listening to me talk about nothing? Uh, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this show in general? Uh, should I have a mental breakdown on air to just really drive it home? Uh, let's not. But what do you what do you say? So the movie's meta. It's great. He has multiple scenes where he thinks he knows how the movie's going to begin, and he starts talking about how it's going to begin and watching it the second time. I was like, this movie actually just has every single false start that he says he's going to do in the movie already. The birth of California over the time-lapsed thing, the starting with the VO. I'm fat. I'm fat and worthless. I should, I should learn a skill. He references that, and then they do it. Uh, he does... I think he has one where he wants to just begin with Meryl Streep's character, and that's in the movie, too. I'm, I'm curious about this. I feel like he structured it well, though. Opening with the VO. I guess I am giving maybe too much credit to Kaufman. I I guess my instinct is to give him a lot of credit, because I feel like him and Spike Jones probably worked pretty closely together. I don't know if in the script it's structured like, oh, we'll do the VO first and then we do this next and this next i'm not sure uh maybe i've got some more interesting stuff in my second wave of notes that's possible right uh loneliness of a writer i already talked about that mutate adapt kind of talked about that inept can't pull the trigger what's that about might have been a reference to all the false starts and stops and then the end because part part of the joke of the movie is that his brother is getting sort of famous on the side by writing this schlocky ass movie that that Kaufman looks down his nose at. So the third act, the big third act twist, I already spoiled it in my preconceived notions, which is slightly ironic. Also, with this show, I feel like I should try to be funnier, but every time I try to be funnier, I feel like I fall flat on my face and it makes me sad. So, but I'm also not serious and good enough at talking to justify that either. So that was another thing though. Part of the reason I wanted to start this podcast was I listened to a lot of people from beginning to where they're at now. And you just become a better speaker by doing this kind of stuff. And I think that more than anything is important. And that's why like Kevin Smith, I encourage everyone to start a podcast as much as it is a joke nowadays to be like, oh, everyone has a podcast. Fuck it. Why not? Get a microphone and talk into it. Become better at talking. It's 
it's better for the human race, I think, that everyone knows how to speak, even if they're speaking to their own wall. Open your mouth sometimes. It's, it's good for you. I am learning that the hard way. Uh, but in the third act, it becomes all schlocky and thrillery and all, all the stupid stuff that he's like, I don't want the movie to, I don't want it to turn out that they're poppies and they're harvesting them for drugs and all the dumb schlock shit. It just comes, that's just what the movie becomes. But I think there's still plenty of metaphor going on. So there's a scene where Chris Cooper, John LaRoche can't quite pull the trigger and shoot Kaufman and he doesn't. And then he gets eaten by an alligator. And I, I find that to be a, probably a pretty good parallel to him not being able to kiss Amelie, Amelie, the the ballerina lady at the beginning, just the, the ineptitude, the feeling of ineptitude, and then seeing the actual physical manifestations of the ineptitude. It's just, it, it's really well done. I just, just the way everything happens, just the it it, it does a really good. It's very dangerous to undercut your characters because then it's hard to take them seriously. But I feel like this movie does a good job undercutting like when it's appropriate, when it needs to be done, when it's going to actually pay off as, as a good joke. A lot of the scenes where you find him jacking off are moments of him being undercut and they work really well. And just seeing... Uh, like a, a sort of a weird, sort of the biggest undercut in the movie is when they're driving away and the Donald character is like, could you believe I got shot? And he, he has like such a, it's just such a good delivery. He just has this tone where he's like almost kind of giddy about it, where he's like, man, it's like the movies are real life. And then just blam, they crash into that truck and he just goes flying out the windshield and fucking dies. And it's just, it's so dark and brutal, but so perfect i guess although i do find myself kind of conflicted by donald's death because the, the the thing that he represents in this movie it seems like every time charlie thinks he's on the right path donald just barges in with his dumb bullshit about his psycho thriller she's the cop but she's also trapped in the basement and she's also the killer movie and he just he gets so mad every time it happens and it just like seems like he'll he'll spiral immediately afterwards and so he's clearly saying something by killing donald off at the end of the movie but i i did find myself struggling to figure out what it was that he was trying to say because he kind of as much as he makes it clear, he looks down his nose a little bit at the stupid, schlocky, big general audience blockbuster kind of stuff. He, he has the character achieving success in the movie, and eventually he even starts taking cues from him because he sees the merit in the approach. And then, But then he kills him, and he has this really sad scene where... Or, I mean, before that, they have a great scene where they're sitting by the log, and uh, I definitely wrote something down about that. Love something intensely, let it go, jacks off a lot. How did I not write down? Huh. Well, shit. Oh, I got it. He, he tells that story about, oh, you were hitting on that girl, and then as soon as you walked away, she made fun of you. And he just has this great scene where he says, yeah, I knew she was making fun of me, but I loved her, and she can't take that away from me. It doesn't matter if she didn't love me back. I loved her. It's just, it's so bittersweet because it's still sad. You obviously want, 
your love to be returned, right? But the ownership and the way that you can just let yourself love something intensely and not worry about, you can let it define you by what you choose to love. And obviously that's a big moment for Charlie where he just says thanks and he doesn't expound upon it, which is beautiful. It doesn't get crazy. He just says thanks and you understand. So they have that moment. I guess that's, I guess that's why Donald dies. He's, he's, he's learned everything he needs to learn from him at that point. Charlie embraced what he needed to from the other side of his brain. And now they've become one. Donald was never even real. It was just a manifestation of, of Charlie. But it, it, it's also weird because the movie does try to tug at your heartstrings a little bit by having him sing to him as he dies. And then he calls his mom. And it's it's really sad. Again, I think it really just is a metaphor for letting a part of yourself die while learning what you needed to do. <sighs> Welcome to the show where I work out the meaning of movies on air. On air, as in this is a radio show. Everyone's listening live. Yay. Hey. Uh, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with uh, after these messages. Can you tell I've never done a radio job before? Right back. Are you tired of that used car that you're always fucking driving around in and it makes sounds like rocks are in the engine? Well, come on down to uh, stereotypical used car salesman's lot. That's right. I'm your go-to bad commercial guy and I'm here to give you a car. Oh, this joke improv has been done better by thousands and thousands of comedians. Come on down. Now, back to your regularly, regularly scheduled show. The rest of this episode will just be ma me making a fart sound and then this microphone, and it'll be about as entertaining as, and as insightful as this whole fucking episode has been. Jesus fucking Christ, save me. I am bad at this. I'm so bad. I love it. I love it. I love it. I am trying to grow as a person, just like Charlie Kaufman, to tie it back into the movie, I guess. I did find it uh, interesting that the John LaRoche character has this story about this car crash, and then you get the scene with Charlie Kaufman having a car crash and killing his brother. I don't really have the wherewithal to say specifically what that meant, just something I noticed. It's good. I have blab blabbered enough to mostly fill an episode at this point, so I'm gonna. S uh, well, look my notes one last time. Last time, one last time, Lottie. That's right. It's me, Scottish Jake. I've been drinking vodka, and for some reason that makes me Scottish. Maybe if I was drinking Scotch, I could justify this lisping, but I can't. I'm drinking vodka. Which means I should go to my Russian accent. That's right. Russians drink vodka. It's our stereotypical drink of choice and we love it. And we live in the fucking snow and we hacked all your Facebook accounts. Enjoy Donald Trump as your president while we drink whiskey on top of our tanks and laugh at you silly Americans. Oh. <laughs> Just kidding. Russians don't laugh. I, sp I picked up that accent by watching Glow a lot. I really like that show. Alison Brie is a national treasure. Haunted by these characters. I like that. That's an interesting observation. Charlie Kaufman is literally being chased through the woods by John LaRoche and Susan Orleans. <laughs> the thing that's interesting about metaphors in movies is they're really brilliant for like half a second. And you just go, oh, shit. 
That's great. He's being haunted by these characters. And now he's being literally hunted by them in the movie, just like he is in his mind while he's trying to make this book. And then you realize it. And then it just seems like horrifically on the nose as soon as you realize it. It's just the shitty double-edged blade of, of metaphor, I think. I still like it. I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty slick. But it also just makes me just bringing it up out loud makes me be like, yeah, okay, I see what you did there, Kaufman. And then you just give him like a little little little, little pat on the back, little, little pats, little little pats for your for your smart writing there. Why why am I condescending to one of the greatest writers of all time? What the fuck is wrong with me? But yeah, if I was to sum it all up, this is a very well made movie with. Brilliant performances, great writing. It's meta. It's, it's a little bit, it's super meta. That's the whole point of it. It's a little hard to follow at times. It really needs to be watched more than once, which I guess it was good of me to go against the grain of this show of just watching a movie and then immediately giving my thoughts, which is supposed to be the fun of it. But I guess, thank God, I had a bit of a breakdown and came back to it because I very much appreciate this movie so much more on the second watch. Yeah, it's just, there's a lot to it. It's more than I could ever do it justice by drunkenly rambling into a microphone at 11.30 at night by myself, sitting in a chair. See, I'm being meta. I'm being meta like the movie. And now I'm sounding sarcastic. It's a good movie. It's a really good movie. I I recommend it. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Uh... I think I'm just intimidated. There's just too much to talk about. There's so much to talk about. I'm, I'm like a lion trying to chase the zebras. Did you know that zebras develop the, their pattern and they move in herds in order to blend in and confuse lions so that they can't pick out a single target? Fun fact. Fun fact. It's a fact. It might not be fun, but it is a fact. I don't know. Um, let's go to the score. Let's go to score. Let's talk about my score, not the score of the movie. I'm bad about remembering scores of movies. I'm trying to be better about it because we're literally trying to score a movie that we're making right now, which is also part of why I've been so bad about recording these episodes because I really want the sound guy that's working on our movie to do the sound for this podcast and make it sound somewhat decent, but I can't bring myself to trouble him over this fucking shit when he sh has so much other shit that he's doing and also he's already working on our movie and our movie is so much more important than this dumb shit I'm saying into a microphone by myself staring at my own goddamn white wall I'm losing my mind has anybody ever read the short story I believe it's called The Yellow Wallpaper about that woman who's trapped in a room and she slowly goes insane and, and watches the yellow wallpaper peel off the walls it's a very interesting and effective short story I always relate that movie or that story to the movie uh it was on the tip of my tongue girl interrupted a movie i have not seen but has one of my favorite memes of all time angelina jolie being dragged away saying you weak people very good meme i'll watch girl interrupted someday for the podcast it's probably a good movie <laughs> i'm stalling because i don't know what to give this movie i do scores out of 10 I heavily slant the scores because I'm watching classic movies. For example, I gave Godfather an 8.5. Any other day of the week in any other scale, that is a 10 out of 10, but not on this scale. This scale is evil. 
I've also given some scores I'm not super pleased with. This is a struggle I'm having because I don't feel like I can give it an 8.5. Have I given anything an 8? No, I haven't. It's not, it's not Chinatown. It's not The Godfather. But it's better than Superman, which I gave a 7. And I gave Billy Jack a 6.5, which I was trying to compare it to Easy Rider, which I also gave a 6.5. But Easy Rider is a better movie than Billy Jack. Billy Jack is, it should be respected for the precedence that it set, but it is a fucking crazy ass movie. It was so weird. A friend of ours, the guy that's helping us edit the movie, came over one night and his uncle had just made the whole family sit through Billy Jack because it was a movie that he remembered when he was growing up. And Joe, our editor, just spent the whole night ranting about how fucking crazy and insane that movie is. And just the more he talked about it, the more I was like, that movie is pretty dumb. I I get so swept up in the moment. It's the uh, problem with doing these podcasts like right after you watch it or with friends that can influence you. Because there are some real high points, but that movie's a fucking mess. But I I really don't want to retroactively... I'm not going to retroactively change my scores because that's fucked up. It's supposed to be nostalgia-free opinions, right? Adaptation gets an 8. I'm giving it an 8. Just looking at my scores, I think 8 is is good. It's a very, very good movie. And 8 is nothing to sneeze at in terms of my shitty ranking system on this show. I I feel bad even ranking it that high. But for me, it just... Man, it hit a lot of points. And I had a chance to watch it twice. It's fucking spectacular. It's really good. 8 out of 10 adaptation. Very good movie. Go check it out. Chickity check, check, check it out. If you haven't, Nicolas Cage is fucking the greatest. Meryl Streep is so good. Oh, the scene where she does uh, the drugs for the first time and then she's talking on the phone. It's just, oh, it's so good. It's so hard to play drunk, play high, play fucked up. The instinct to overdo it it's just so strong because you're is this translated isn't translating is fucked up and she just nails it like you can just tell she's fucked up but she's not overacting at all this just has this glassy look in her eye slack face easily amused and and part of it is the structure of the scene the whole let's make the dial tone thing is so god like what a, how do you even think to write that how do you think to write that on the page the no you make this sound and i make this sound no 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 not like that that's whew yeah never mind eight eight's very justified if, if anything it's maybe too low of a score because i'm being uh weirdly self-conscious about it but that's what i'm gonna give it an eight 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 my voice cracked giving it an eight dog <clears throat> it's time for the last part of the show the part where i recommend a movie that maybe you haven't seen Because the irony of my life is I've seen a lot of movies that nobody else has seen, and I haven't seen a lot of movies that everyone has and should have seen. This one, I'm doing my cop-out recommendation. I've already mentioned it. Synecdoche, New York. Here's the thing about that movie. That movie is dense. It's dense as fuck. It's so fucking dense. The only reason I was able to even comprehend it was I actually watched the YMS breakdown of it. All like fucking five hours of video that he has on it beforehand. And then I watched it and I was able to appreciate what I was seeing. I'm very curious what watching that movie is like for someone that doesn't really have a whole lot of context going into it. It's probably nigh incomprehensible, but it is one of the deepest, most detailed movies ever made. 
It's a meditation on life and legacy and death, especially death. Death is the big theme in that movie, and man, it really hit hard. Just and it, it it's extra tough because Philip Seymour Hoffman is the lead in that movie, and the fact that he's actually dead going into watching that movie for me was just man that that was a big loss that I'm not sure a lot of people even to to this day understand how big of a loss it was to to not have Philip Seymour Hoffman around. That guy so fucking good. Um, Synecdoche, New York is insane. It, it, it's, and I'd never even heard of it before. I, it just, the, the fact that I like YMS's YouTube channel is the only reason I was even turned on to it in the first place. And it's insanely good. And I'd like to pass the buck along in ter- when it comes to that movie. If anybody, all three of you, Synecdoche, New York, you should watch it. It's really good. A lot of people haven't heard of it, but it's Possibly one of the greatest movies ever made, ironically. It's very dense. It's not for everybody. I don't plan on returning to it anytime soon. It's it's kind of tough to watch sometimes, in parts, I mean. Uh, but it's good. It's incredible. It's Charlie Kaufman's, I think, directorial debut, I think. Um, and you can tell just everything that he wanted is just the details. God, the details. I don't even ever want to be like that, really. I kind of feel bad for him in a weird way living with having to be like that be that detailed and good not for me that's why i do this podcast because i'm not good that's a that's a good wrap up right yeah no all right that's okay i have a outro for this too i think i say something about flip-flop That'll do it for me here, Jake Baker at Clear Tinted Classics. And I will catch you all on the flip flop later. Not changing it. I say that too, right? I say not changing it.